see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. Spit. It's the Spit Podcast. It is. What day is it? It's Tuesday, and it is August fourth. And Spit is uh, all things surf. I've got my. I've got my Lacroix. What are you drinking? I've got my Topo Topo Chico yeah. with a spritz of lime. Which flavor Lacroix do you got? Well, I've got lemon, but I'm a big fan of the pamplemousse grapefruit. Nice. I've uh, somebody came over a while back and they left a case of the Lacroix natural flavor. No, no additional spritz of anything, and it was delightful. I just finished it last night, actually. Well, I'm. <clears throat> I, I feel like you've won up to me. The Topo Chico with the lime squeezed, just partly because it's in a bottle, makes me feel like, once again, you've, you've outclassed me. Um, you know, I barely have to try. But ain't that the truth about drinking stuff out of a bottle instead of a can? The bottle, it's maybe three times better than a can, no matter what it is. Yeah. And holy shit, I just realized I've got... Uh, vertical surfboard stands. I could literally put my boards up behind me in my stands and just be like taking care of a couple of the guys that make me boards. That And honestly, that's all the people care about. I The most consistent feedback we've gotten over the years is that they want to see more of your quiver. Well, maybe you have an email you can read while I set up my quiver behind me, a couple boards behind me. I'll just pause it and then we'll come back when you got them set up. All right. Okay. That is perfect. I mean, I recognize the Clyde Beatty Jr. because you picked that up when we were at Shack last, but uh, what do you got on your other side? Uh, yeah, that other one is a deep six, uh, obviously a single fin that um, Bob Mitzvin made for me. It's super sexy. There, it gives it a little bit more of a view. So that thing's a – I got some great waves this winter on that board. How big is that? It's six six. Actually, both these boards are six six. Clyde Beatty is six six. Clyde Beatty's got probably twice as much foam as the, as the Mitzvah. The thing's wide, but I have not ridden this one. Yeah, this one. Waves have been too small. <laughs> I haven't surfed in three weeks. That's insane. I have not entered the ocean in three weeks. Is that a record? Mostly because, yeah. It, well, I don't know. Did I tell you I was building a retaining wall on my hill? Yeah. So anyway, a couple things have happened. I got diverticulitis. That sent me to the hospital. Big reveal. Because that interrupted one of our podcasts uh, scheduling, but we didn't discuss it with listeners. But yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, diverticulitis. So as soon as I got over that, well, when I was, there was no waves. It was small. Right? It's basically been small since the July 4th weekend. That was the last house swell we had. And um, I got this like crazy idea to build a retaining wall in my backyard. 
And because it's been cold water and literally like not just small, but like tiny, you know, yeah. and cold. Like I surf when it's small. Like I, I'll surf when it's two feet, two to three. I'll surf. I got boards to surf that. I got 11 foot gliders. I got all sorts of stuff. But it's been gutless and tiny and borderline flat, frankly. And many, many mornings it feels like it's flat. Like you can't even surf if you wanted to. And so that combined with my commitment to build this wall on my hill has kept me out of the water. I've just been excited about building this wall. So that's what I've been doing. Um, and it's been flat. Like if there's waves, I'd surf. I know. Like, it's been no, there's like, there's like actually no swell. It's not just that it's small swell. It's there's no swell. Um, do you, do you enjoy it at all? Do you enjoy not having the albatross on your shoulder every day of what the waves are doing? Well, no, I love to surf. And as you know, I do the surf report down here in the morning, every morning on the radio. And so I'm pretty keyed into it. You know? Like I'm, I know what it's doing. If there was waves, I'd surf. But, but couple the two feet at five seconds, which is the most gutless windswell ever, combined with a 59-degree water, and, a, and I've got a, quite a few other things that are, would be better for me to do with my time, and it equals three weeks of not surfing. Yeah. And I want to surf. I've got, I'm ready to, to get wet. And, but it's, and when was the last time you surfed really any kind of good wave? Yeah, it was right after 4th of July. Yeah, that was the last time. Basically, everyone in Southern California has been under this gauntlet of crap, you know, and I bet it's really good for places like Waco, you know, because it's kind of hard to get on a plane and go somewhere. I think you could probably go to Cabo, but I know you can't go to Salina Cruz, and, you know, there's other places that I don't think they really want you showing up. Yeah. So Waco's probably killing it during the Southern California flat spell. It has been a flat spell for three weeks. Let's be honest. Oh, completely. Um, yeah, that is curious. I, I hadn't even thought about how that would affect wave pool business. I have a feeling Waco's probably booked out no matter what, but you got to imagine when the Palm Springs pools come online, they will absolutely be affected by flat swells. Well, I ran into Michael Grell, and I did a podcast with Michael Grell on the Boardroom Podcast, and he is one of the developers of the Oceanside Wave Pool, which is going to be off the 76 Freeway. And he's using the same technology, the Tom Lochtefeld Wave Lock technology that they're using out at the pool you just mentioned, one in Palm Springs, the DSRT. I think that's the one. And he went out there and rode the wave, and, and he, he's a good surfer. And he had like a little abrasion here and he had a little abrasion here <laughs> and he had a big smile on his face he's like dude that wave is insane super fun i guess the drop's pretty difficult yeah a little quick little you surfed it didn't you that's right you surfed it i did surf right? it. it i did yeah it's the most fun of any of the pools that i've surfed and i think largely because um i had the experience of the other pools so by the time I got to this one, it was like all of those nerves were gone and you could just kind of have a blast. The other thing was we had the pool for the entire day. So there was no limitation to the time and um, you could really get things dialed. In regard to the drop being difficult, there's um, kind of infinite number of settings for the pool. So I'm not sure which wave he was actually surfing. There was only one setting that we didn't surf which was, um, they call it the slab. 
and it really, it actually pushes kind of against the wall and you really have to, I don't even know, knife in, airdrop, and then immediately get going. And so Shane Magnuson and Hunter Jones, which is a Southern California pro surfer, they were the only guys surfing that setting. And they did it right at the end of the day. I was already kind of burned out and I had surfed the other barreling setting for the previous hour or so and kind of got my fill. And then they set that and I was like, you know what, I'll just let them have it. Cause it looks like if you're going to get hurt, you're going to get hurt at the end of the day on the biggest setting. And I already, I was already stoked. Um, so maybe that's the one that he was doing that he's talking about. Cause it did look super hard to make. Yeah. He, and like I said, the, the biggest characteristic of my, uh, of my uh, run in with him was the smile on his face. Yeah. You know, like he was stoked. He, he was surf. He was obviously, fulfilled and um, that's a feeling that i haven't had in quite a while dude the funny thing is i mean it honestly is it's like a drug you get in that pool you can't get enough you have to kind of you just want another hit you get a wave you have the time of your life and you just want more like having the time of your life isn't enough you need another (laughs) one and The other thing that's unique to, I don't know, maybe it's not unique to surfing, but it definitely exists in surfing is that you never fully live up to your potential. Rarely do you ever surf a wave as well as you think that you can. And so as soon as you kick out of a wave in that pool, you think of what you could have done better, what you, you know, how you're going to hit the section the next time. So you scramble back out there, wait your turn, licking your chops, you get another one. And then you have that exact same feeling again, and you're constantly chasing the dragon, so to speak. And I could see it being a huge, you know, uh, benefit for those who are selling the pool technology or the investors in the pool itself. Cause if you can get people salivating like that for your commodity, I mean, that's, that's worth you know, it's invaluable. I've never not had that salivation that you speak of when I've been, and I, and I'm talking about like Typhoon Lagoon, like the crappiest one out there in Orlando, at Disney world. Yeah. And I was running back to make sure I got in, you know, as soon as I could into the queue so that somebody wouldn't snivel in in front of me. So, yeah, I, I think that's a, I think that's something that we all experience. I don't think you're alone in that. No, it's really, and I mean, it, it exists in the ocean too, obviously, but um, the scarcity of the wave pool, I think maybe intensifies it. So I've got um, feedback. Remember last week you were asking me about COVID and how immunity relates to it? Like what is, how come the news isn't really talking about getting in the sunlight, getting exercise and the, immun- the role of immunity? Somebody emailed in regard to that and he said, um, longtime listener, first time caller, I wanted to add to your discussion about the impact of COVID on the wider population. Before I bang on about this, I wanted to mention that I am bearing in mind that my own account is subjective, anecdotal, and not representative of the wider experience for the majority. But I came down with the lurgy in early March with pretty classic classic symptoms, dry cough, fever for about a week, which later developed into difficulty breathing. I couldn't walk around the house without getting out of breath and my lungs ached to the point where I couldn't sleep. Week three, the cough eased and the lung lung ache dissipated. What followed was a week of um, sitting through 
uh, sifting through the eye of the needle until the fever broke and finally felt like I was recovering. And yet I had another four to six weeks of coughing up phlegm from somewhere in my lungs with short but intense bouts with my chest feeling like I was, it was on fire inside. Again, those symptoms eventually subsided. But even now, end of July, when I uh, get really tired after a surf or a hike, the chest pains creep in for a while. I'm 33, 5 foot 11, 165 pounds, work on my feet, surf three times a week, and I hike and run when I can, and I do yoga on a regular basis and have no pre-existing conditions. Whenever my wife and I get sick, she is normally worse off, and I feel very little. This time, she had a cough, sore throat for a day or two, and knocked the thing uh, out. I get that the majority of people will have a quote bad flu and recover in four to seven days. But does that mean people like me just have to roll the dice because the majority don't give a shit and want business as usual? Or am I a delicate snowflake melting on the proverbial hot California sand? Love the show. It's like two mates having a chin wag in the car park after a sesh. Kook you is inspired. <laughs> Keep up the good work. A chin wag. I have no idea, but he's basically saying Aussie. he's basically saying Aussie. he's super healthy and he got it terribly, despite yeah. his high immunity. And you mentioned a friend of yours that you knew that was a runner that had done the same thing that was basically in shape and got horribly ill. Um, well, look, wear a mask, and um, I wear a mask. I'm, in fact, I went to a party the other day. A friend of mine and his girlfriend got engaged and there was a party and it was a birthday thing and blah, blah, blah. And it's a younger crowd, you know, like he's probably, they're probably 29. And, um, my wife and I went to this party and I'm like, should I wear a mask? Like that's, I guess, I mean, no, I'm going to wear a mask. I hope everyone else is wearing a mask. So I put on my mask, go to this party. And of course my wife and I are the only two people with masks masks on we're like the classic you know 50 year old 50 plus year old with masks and there's a bunch of like 20 somethings running around without masks like there's no such thing as covid you know and uh it was awkward being you know socially having a mask on and try it's hard enough without a mask to engage with people at a party you know stand around like and try to create chit chat and hopefully be, get interested in somebody and talk yeah. but with a mask on it's friggin' impossible yeah. Well, you probably did the right thing. All those super spreaders are, uh, are the reason that we're seeing spikes right now. Holy shit. Super spreaders. I need a t-shirt. Um, all right. Do you want some kook you feedback? Yeah. Kook you kook university where David and Scott give you some basic rules to go by. If you're a beginner, some principles principles now, are they? Uh, well, so this listener, he started out, I won't read the whole thing, but he started out by saying, you know, he appreciated that email about you shouldn't burn people because it only ruins your own day, basically. And he said, yeah, but occasionally it's necessary. And he goes on to explain this situation. He said, so the situation plays out in Nias on a good swell there was a moderate crowd with about 20 people, a mix of locals, Australians, Americans, Europeans. Uh, we as a group of three Canary Island surfers, though normally being in the upper part of the surf level on most, at most spots, here I was definitely lower tier. 
people were taking off deeper, getting shacked, being blown out, doing maneuvers on impossible sections and just ripping. Everyone was respecting their turns, waiting in line. It was textbook proper etiquette until another nation hit the water. He doesn't ever explain which nation hit the water, but it was Brazilians. It was Brazilians. I checked with them. As, you did? It was Brazilians. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, it was Brazilians. So he goes on to say close to 10 highly motivated surfers. They were loud and surfed as if they were alone, paddling straight past everyone to the peak <laughs> and trying to get shots from their photographer that they had brought, waiting in line for what I felt like was an hour, but was probably only about 15 minutes. It was my turn to get the next wave and I got back paddled. The guy paddled around me, took off, so I pulled back, but I felt like I was a kid being intimidated by the school bully. The glee and euphoria that I had previously been feeling throughout this session now turned to angst. A short time later, while I patiently waited my turn, the same exact surfer back paddled me again. I knew if I'd lose, I knew that I'd lose all respect if I backed down. So despite him being deeper than me, I took off on the wave and faded him. He didn't back down either. Our elbows hit as I dropped in. If you surf Neos, you know how useful it is to concentrate on your takeoff. Ultimately, he had to straighten out. After that, I was not hassled again, nor back paddled. It's sad, but to be respected, sometimes you have to step up and do stuff out, uh, outside of what you would normally do. The photographer they had brought got the shot, and it looks like I'm the one who's at fault, but everyone in the water uh, was okay with what I did, and even the guy that I faded. He still back paddled other people, but my session was saved, and the weight on my shoulders was gone. Cheers, Oliver. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's a good email, and, and I, I, I corresponded back with all uh, with him, and we chatted a little bit on Instagram. But um, my thoughts are. Um, I guess my, most of my thoughts are about the concept of a pack of Brazilians because it's happened to me. <laughs> you and I have talked about it. I, I mean, we've all been on boat trips in the Mentawise where everything seems to be going relatively smooth, right? There's a couple boatloads of these guys. There's boatloads of those guys. There's boatloads of Australians. And everyone's kind of got it going on as far as the hierarchy or how the flow of catching waves is is moving and I don't know if you've experienced this but a boat of a boat of I have experienced this a boat of Brazilians pulls up in their little dinghy eight of them flop out five minutes later another eight flop out and they begin to just charge straight up to the takeoff point and the whole time they're barking in their Portuguese which is like this super snappy kind of aggressive I mean I don't know anything about Portuguese, but it seems like when the Brazilians use the language, they're basically saying fuck you over and over and over again. That's all I ever hear anyway. It's like, <laughs> I mean, they could be saying, honey, I love you. Let me give you a million dollars. But it sounds like fuck you, motherfucker. Just the way they spit out their language aggressively drives me crazy. And they paddle up to the top of the point and, and you know, they just kind of, they basically go go crazy until somebody does something and so you know we're gonna have to do something <laughs> and so we do and what and do we I do mean, I, I well I, you and i've i told you this story before 
I know I've told you this. Like when I got back from a trip like seven or eight years ago. So I just paddle straight up to the top and I just get loud. I get louder than them. And I'm like, hey, what are we doing? What's the plan? Like, tell me what to do. Do you want me to sit up here and wait my turn? When's my turn? Do you have a number that you can give me? Do you have something on a stick that I can hold? Like, I just go overboard. Because I, at some point, somebody needs to, like, we can't just sit there with our heads in our laps and watch these guys do fucking circles around us. So I'll just go, hey, what? You know, I'm going. I guess it's my turn. I don't know. You're paddling, but you're back paddling me. Like, I just, it just gets into chaos. And then eventually it's like, I'm like, well, then tell me what to do if you're in charge. You know, like, where's my number? When do I get to go? When's my turn? And I'll, I'll take my turn when you tell me. And then they're like, oh, there's no turns. Okay, if there's no turns, then I'm going on every wave. And it turns into a scene, and it gets ugly. But <laughs> somebody has to be the ugly American or the ugly Australian to set it straight, or they will just take advantage of you. And it's, what's lame about it is that they all show – all 16 of them paddle out at once. They don't eke out five at a time and wait an hour between the next load from your boat to dr- get dropped off. They all just pop out 16 at a time and just start barking at each other. So in that scenario where you actually did that, um, what happened? They acquiesced. They had to. I'm like, you know, all I'm asking for is tell me how to do it. If you guys have got some way to do this, tell me how to do it. But I I was as loud as I am now or louder. Like, I'm like, here I am. Show yeah. me what to do. I'm not going to sit here with my head. I didn't fly all the way over here and watch you fucking do circles around me. Fuck that. But they started letting waves go through? Well, I start just going. Okay. And, uh, and then it's like, hey, man, hey, man, it's my turn. I'm like, how come? Explain to me why. Why isn't it my turn? Because I don't see any order out here. There was order out here before you showed up. Right. And so I, I go, and then, you know, of course, everyone's like, fuck, thank God somebody's speaking up, you know? Yeah. Okay, well, let me ask you this. I understand that experience that you had, um, and those guys. I'm happened. a little pissed off right now, David. All right, well, here, keep <laughs> keep bringing the heat. Um, I understand the experience that you had on that boat was with Brazilians, but how is it not racist to now, whenever a scenario like this comes up through email, for you to then say they were Brazilians, weren't they? I, and I'm not, and I'm not saying you're I'm wrong. I'm not saying I, I'm not, I'm not, I might, it might be racist, you know? Um, I don't know if Brazil, if being a Brazilian, that's not a race. Like they're Hispanic or they're, I don't know what, you know, I don't think they, maybe they're Latino or I don't know what the race is, but being Brazilian is a night. It's a nationality. Well, they're not Hispanic. Well, my point is, is that it's not racist. It's a nation thing. It's a nation state thing. Right. I don't know. Don't I, I don't racist. know. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, I'm saying, how is it different? Classifying like this whole nation know. state Look, acts a certain way, but I'm not even saying you're wrong. Look, I think. I'm not this, saying I'm right either, by the way. I'm not saying that's, that's the way to do it. I'm just saying that's what happened. Look, I'm not saying like, it's like, you know, it's not necessarily the way that I want to behave. It's not why I flew 24 hours to Indonesia to get into a situation with somebody. That's no, what, nobody wants that. No, but I think that you're right, though, in that um, there's cultural norms, for sure, in and out of surfing. And people are raised a certain way in their communities. And you can track trends. And it's very effective to do. Um, Why is it, though, that Brazilians behave that way? 
Why is it that this story Albina. comes up? I mean, I have no idea. Have you spent time in Brazil? No. Surfing? No. No. Crowded but beaches? I mean, look, we're going to get emails from people, and I can tell you what they're going to say. Some of them are going to say this. Brazilians are great when they're by yourself. Like, I, you know, when you're one-on-one -on -one with them, but when you get a pack of them out at a surf spot, they tend to kind of, like, run amok. Yeah, I mean, it's the stereotype is true, by the way. When I'm, I'm with you, I'm calling when, you I'm out. With, when I'm with my friends or whoever I'm surfing with, I very rarely fucking talk to you. I'm the paddling, only... I'm doing my, my head's down, I'm on a mission, yeah. I'm doing my own thing. And I might say, hey, you know, we might like look at each other in the eye like halfway through the session one time and say, hey, when are you going in or whatever. But it's not like this. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Yeah. Now, the stereotype um, is true in surfing for some reason because, I mean, this email that we got, we get this email regularly. Um, and all you got to do is go surf lowers to kind of see it in action any given day of the week. But there is a reason. I'm curious what the reason for it is. Like, I could imagine in Rio, obviously, it is hyper condensed. Uh, populace feeding down into a few small beaches. So it would make sense that it, there'd be a lot of aggression in the lineup there. But I don't know how the rest of Brazil is. Like, I don't know what other factors are at play. But definitely there's a, you know, it's kind of the opposite of what I think of with Japanese surf culture as being kind of gentlemanly and um, maybe even foregoing set waves to let the elder in the group get a wave and that sort of thing. So it's curious, but it's a thing. It is a very interesting thing, actually, from a from sort of a sociological standpoint. If you could pull yourself out from 30,000 feet and look at the different nation states and the way that they behave as groups on trips in different areas and why it is that they behave that way. Yeah. And I think the Japanese example is a great contrast to the Brazilian. I think you've, you've basically got the two, you know, most different sort of, you know, behavior types. Yeah. But I, it's a weird, it, I, it, in a weird way, it's like this weird meritocracy for Brazilian surfers. It's almost like the loudest, brashest gets the wave. They don't even have to be the best surfer. Right. And so it's like, this meritocracy of machismo, like, blah, blah, you know, it's loud, big, strong. The meritocracy isn't at play in that one scenario where it is well, everywhere else. Meritocracy. In the like they, they earn their merit, not through their ability in the ocean, but through their, their sort of social standing amongst their peers. You know what? I wonder if that, um, the conversation about once you start burning people, you diminish your own fun in the session I wonder if that applies in that Brazilian mindset. Like, is it universal? And is, is it, um, does that psychological effect, is it dampened by your own cultural upbringing? Is the Japanese crowd of guys who are giving away waves having more kind of enlightened fun than the Brazilian group who's burning a bunch of people? Yeah. I don't we're or they're gonna, having less fun because they're getting less waves. I don't know. I, 
I think for the, I mean, you and I know that if, you know, altercations equal not a good time. Yeah, I tend to feel that way. But again, if your culture is um, kind of has a tolerance built up against that, they're impervious to it. So it doesn't affect their mental state. Yeah. Um, well, are they, are they less civilized? I don't know. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just go there. No, because again, you'd have to define civilized. They're less civilized by our well, culture's norms. Is like, if civilized is like, you know, English sort of cucumber sandwiches, lawn bowling, you know, like sort of like this, how do I, how would we, what's the most civilized society and culture that you know of? Japanese. I mean, I still okay, think Japanese, okay. like they're the advanced, they're the most advanced okay. technologically. Well, and let's use that. I would agree. They're pretty civilized as far they're civil. Like they're, they're almost overly civil in, in some ways. Totally. And, and since we agreed that the Brazilians are at the other end of the spectrum, then we're basically saying that the Brazilians are less civilized. I know. I, I kind of, I would agree with that, but again, I do it with the caveat of we're doing it through our own culturals, cultural understanding of the term civilized because Absolutely. I have a feeling Brazilian, uh, whatever their word would be for it, just inherently yeah. has a different definition. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe they don't have a word. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Uh, oh, well, moving on. Okay. Yeah. We went down a rabbit hole. We certainly did. I wanted to draw your attention last week. Um, I held up that new issue of the Surfer's Journal with Mikey February on the cover. Yeah. I got into that this week. Um, there's a fantastic piece that I'd like to draw everybody's attention to about Sterling Spencer. Um, Gulf Coast of Florida from Pensacola Beach. He's a kind of, I, I don't know, B-tier pro surfer from, let's say, the mid-2000s who transitioned out of... I don't know, like a non-competitive pro surfer, free surf thing into doing surf satire was really his bread and butter when he was at the peak of his career. And so this article covers all of that. Um, interestingly, he pissed off a lot of the surf industry and professional surfers with that brand of comedy. So he goes into that in detail and talks about Kelly Slater, you know, trying to track him down jeremy flores threatening him for a year and barely not crossing paths with jeremy and then finally crossing paths with him at the surfers pole at on the north shore and then jeremy choking him out from behind and sterling wasn't even aware that jeremy was there like sterling's having a drink at the bar and all of a sudden he knows he's being choked and he gets choked unconscious and wakes out wakes up looking up at jeremy um so then kind of him backing off of that brand of comedy that he was pushing and basically going into depression, which he had struggled with off and on, ultimately stopped surfing for months on end, didn't leave the house, uh, loses his sponsorship. And he was making these surf films periodically. I'd say every year and a half or so, he dropped a full feature film and they were really good. And um, that was kind of his little bit of salvation that he would have through his depression but ultimately finds love uh, with his current wife. They have a son together and he is, you know, feels like he's found salvation through those loving relationships. 
but it's just a really well done piece. I've known Sterling certainly from afar and peripherally on Instagram. I didn't know all of this information and now I actually want to get to know him more. I would love, I'll actually reach out to do a podcast with him. I was going to do one with him uh, a couple of years ago when I was in Florida, but it didn't work out. But I'm more inclined now than ever to kind of unpack a lot of this stuff because it's fascinating, you know? Yeah, I'd like to read, like to read the article. Um, I don't have, I don't, my only experience with, with him wasn't a positive one. Tell me. Um, well, I just, you know, it was just in the water. He, it was just a, it wasn't anything. He didn't really do anything bad. He just was. He got too many waves cut. and then you faded him? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no, he was a little bit um, aloof. A little bit aloof, I guess I would say. What are you, what are you not saying? That, I just thought he was a dick. Because he didn't acknowledge who you were? No, You're saying no, aloof no, as no, if no, like no. he's a pro no, surfer no, and he didn't no. give you. No, he was, no, he, no, no, I, I wasn't even, no, it wasn't that at all. No, it was more like he was just, it had nothing to do with me. I, we, I didn't even really surf where he was surfing. I was just watching his scene. And um, it just seemed like he didn't give a crap about anybody. That's what it seemed like. Look, I could be, I'm probably wrong. I actually am a big fan of his father, who's, I think, since his rest in peace, but. Sterling Spencer, right? Or Yancey. I mean, Yancey Spencer. Isn't Yancey his father? Yeah, Yancey. And they talk a little bit about Yancey and the legacy of their family in Pensacola Beach on the Gulf Coast of Florida. Yeah, um, they're all-stars. They're full-on legends, man. Totally. Totally. And so I, I'm, I, w- I would like to read this, and I would, I would love to give, uh, give him a second chance. I mean, I'm sure he's a nice guy. It sounds like he's a wonderful guy. You and know, you know, everyone makes mistakes. Lord knows I've made about a million. Yeah, I mean, wonderful. And I've acted or, like a jerk at the same time. So who, one, who am I one, to say? Who am I to be a hypocrite on this? Wonderful or not? Because I don't know. I don't have any personal experience with him. He's a fascinating, he's an interesting character. You know what I mean? Like the fact that he has those blemishes and scars and all of that just make him a lot more interesting yeah. um, for the purpose of surf media, for this Surfer Journal article, for us doing podcasts. He's an interesting character. Um, that I type of content that is that is like almost it's almost hate driven content. You think? Well, what is behind that kind of content? Um, comedy. You know, like um, you know Samuel Lewis, uh, Lewis Samuels used to do that, right? And um, he would just basically kind of like tear people down. See, I I see it completely differently. I don't see any hatred or malice in it at all. I see well, comedy. Well, why, would Jer- why would Jeremy Flores choke him out? That's on Jeremy. I mean, right, clearly, but, I clearly, mean, clearly Jeremy took it seriously. It wasn't like he, yeah. No, it but wasn't like, do you remember the piece that he did about nah, Jeremy that Jeremy was so pissed about? I don't follow any of it. Okay, so it was a video piece where Jeremy was, wa- you had to have seen this. Jeremy was walking up the beach after he did J-Bay and a little kid went up to go get his autograph, to get Jeremy's autograph. And Jeremy didn't have a pen and the little kid didn't have a pen. So Jeremy just like shoes him away, probably saying like, oh, go get a pen and I'll do it for you. But Sterling did a voiceover basically uh, in Jeremy's voice like, 
oh, you know, little kid, I'm a professional surfer. Shoo, shoo, go away. I have no time for you. Pretending like Jeremy was being pretentious and sending the kid away. So yeah. it was harmless. Nobody. I don't think it was harmless. No, listen, hear me out. Nobody watching that video thought that that was Jeremy's voice, nor that Jeremy was actually saying that to the kid. It was completely innocuous. It was strictly for laughs. And it was hilarious. There's no victim in that crime. Jeremy. Jeremy's the victim. No, Jeremy's an idiot for ever getting upset. That that video probably got more views than any heat that Jeremy surfed in in that year. And he could easily have (laughs) leveraged it to heighten his profile. The fact that he was sensitive enough to get upset about this joke makes Jeremy look like a dick and a douche, which by the way, he's been accused of in the past, you know, for choking people out, both Sterling and somebody in the water just previous to that at the Gold Coast event. So I, I have no problem. I don't think there was any malice with Sterling's. I mean, there is a fine line with comedy. You can certainly do it spitefully and actually like disparage somebody's character nothing that i ever saw sterling do was was that way it was always victimless just it's satire and if you can't laugh at satire then you've got no sense of humor okay no response i mean what do you want me to say I want to say, I think I want you to acknowledge surfers are taking themselves way too seriously. Lewis Samuel's stuff, by the way, was more critical. So I could see people taking umbrage with Lewis because he was actually kind of um, picking apart their actual weaknesses. And I don't think it was vindictive or mean spirited, but it was actually critical. And I understand people getting upset about critique, but I do think surfer, pro surfers take themselves way too seriously. And it's high time that there's actually critical assessment. Like, dude, I am so bored by reverent, glowing write-ups of surfers. I, do, I have no time or interest in hearing how great Kelly Slater is anymore, you know? Like, Lewis, whatever Lewis is going to write about Kelly is going to be more interesting because it's at least going to be critical. Why was Kelly pissed off at Sterling Spencer? I don't remember. But, but, but Kelly was after him for something? He, he wanted to have a confrontation with him? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I don't even remember so we've ever... We've got two cases, two cases now where something Sterling did or wrote or created made two different people feel like they had to go confront this guy. Way more than two. Like, that's and part you, and of... And you don't the- think that's wrong? I think Kelly Slater and Jeremy Flores are way too sensitive. They've never had anybody poke inquiry into them. All they've ever had from surf media. Get, Kelly Slater was, gets terrorized all the time. All you got to do is go online, go on his Instagram, and you, there's a million people giving Kelly Slater shit. That didn't, that didn't exist in 2005. In 2005, it was all surf magazines that venerated all of them and blew you know, wind up their skirts. They've never had anybody, any version of surf media that ever gave them a hard time or even criticized them. I mean, is that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to give people hard times? No, but I think... we're here? First of all... Give people a hard time? No, but you should be able to take... You should be able to take critique, first of all. If you're a professional surfer and your job is to be judged... Critique is one thing. Okay, so Lewis Samuels falls in critique and uh, Sterling Spencer's falls on satire. And both of those are fully valid. 
All right. No? I mean, if that's what they want to do. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to say don't do it. I just think it's, I think there's, I think there's probably better ways that could spend their energy. Uh, I disagree because two of those people are the most, I mean, certainly Lewis was among the more kind of um, important surf contributors of his era. I would agree that he sort of, he sort of kickstarted the whole, um, you know, he, what he did was powerful. There's no doubt. And I think what Sterling did was powerful. I'm just not sure it's the best use of their power. That's all I'm saying. What, but it's none of my business. When you, if you're going to interview somebody for the podcast, for the boardroom, yeah. Um, yeah. is your intention only to blow favor their way? No, I'm not going to blow favor anyone's way. Yeah. So what, I mean, there's value in being critical and making them kind of, you know. I agree. It's just like how you go about um, sort of manifesting that criticism and how you frame that criticism, the tone that you put on that criticism. You can criticize people with respect yeah. or you can criticize people disrespectfully. Well, again, Sterling Spencer wasn't even a critique. He wasn't a critic. You know, he was a s satirist. I mean, who's to say he's a satirist? How would you define it? I don't know. I haven't even, I mean, I, I don't know, but I'm just, I mean, I just feel like the cloaking, cloaking something under the umbrella of, oh, but he's a satirist, so it's okay. It's kind it's, of a cop out. Like you not, better first be of all, really, that's not a, you, you better be a, a pretty good satirist. That's not a cloak. That's a definition of what he's doing. You know, like, it's not like he's out there with a vindictive uh, intent and I'm calling it satire. It is, it's best defined as satire. All right. Well, I haven't <laughs> seen enough of it. <laughs> I haven't seen enough of it to, to go further. I'm just, I, I guess my overarching thing is it would be nice if people were nicer. I'm okay with that. I'm fine with being nicer, but I also am okay with uh, satire A and then also calling a spade a spade. You know, like there's uh, tremendous hypocrisies to Kelly Slater's, you know, varied business interests versus what he, um, uh, po you know, says that he's into in terms of environmentalism and that sort of stuff. And it's okay to call him out on those things. And I would love to hear Kelly defend those things. But traditionally, surf media and certainly magazine surf media for all the years that I was growing up wouldn't even touch a toe in well, that water. Yeah, but you and I both know that's what magazines are for. They're marketing vehicles for the surf industry. That's not what magazines, that's what surf magazines have done, but that's not what magazines right. are for. Now, surf magazines are, all they are, is marketing vehicles for the surf industry. Well, that's, that's why they probably they don't exist anymore too. It, well, that might be, but if you think that surf magazines were created so that we could put a, uh, like a microscope on the culture and call it out and, and you know, then, then what you need is a subscription based surf magazine like the surfers journal, because there's no, there's no ad revenue based, uh, surf magazine that's going to shoot itself in the foot. I, I, dude, I lived in this world for 10 years. I, I worked at Surfer Magazine for 10 years. I was the guy that was like, that was a shitty surf movie. Let's call them out. And I was the guy that would have the publisher in my office going, dude, you can't do that. They spend fucking 
50 grand a year on ad buys. So, you know, if you're not going to say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's clear that that model was broken and that's why it doesn't exist anymore. But I'm, there are successful magazines in every other space that incorporate critique. They're not, they're, who? Give me one. Any magazine. I mean, the New Yorker has film crit criticism in every issue, restaurant critique. They critique present politicians. Yeah, but I mean like an enthusiast based, like, like say like, I don't know, Hot That's, Rod magazine. <laughs> I have no Enth idea. Enthusiast based magazines, not like, not general reading. Because general reading, you can get away with calling shit on them because they're not advertisers. But when yeah. you've got an enthusiast based marketing platform, like a surf magazine or a Hot Rod magazine or golf magazine, you're not going to put, a, a, a bad review about one of your advertisers in it. You're just not going, or your advertisers pros. Well, it's high time that they did. I mean, look, this is exactly what- They're not going to, David. If they do, they're good, their money- if This I, is exactly, look, when, this. I understand the point that you're making, I'm, but what I I'm agree with is, you that it's, look, I agree with you there should be criticism. I'm not saying, don't, I'm just saying, if you think it's going to come from surf magazines ever, then you don't understand what surf magazines are. That They're was marketing never, vehicles for the surf industry. That was never the point that I made. <laughs> that was never the point that I made that surf magazines should be the ones doing it. I don't know where you even came up with that point. I'm saying that there's... You haven't been listening. You haven't been listening to yourself. <laughs> I'm saying that there's so much value in calling Kelly Slater out on the hypocrisies that he's clearly displaying. And if the magazines right, aren't willing to do it, it's not going to happen from yeah. a surf magazine. Nobody, nobody it's not even that they're said not that. Willing to do it. Scott, it's nobody not even that said not, that. You just said it. You just said you it. You keep bringing it back to these defunct magazines. What I said was that when Sterling Spencer comes along, and he wasn't actually doing this, but when somebody like Sterling comes along and highlights the hypocrisy, there's tremendous value in it. And you I said, agree. No, you were like, oh, they should I put their time into something else. And I'm like, no, no, no. There's tremendous value in truth and seeing the truth. And it's right. okay if the magazines aren't going to publish it. We'll talk about it. Sterling can right. talk no, about I, it. Look, I've, I'm all about honesty and truth. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily my place right now to call out somebody that I know did something wrong just because I have a, a vehicle to do it. It might not be who says it's my, who gives me the authority to do that just because I'm happen to see it happen. Um, by the way, yeah, I hate to even dive in to this that you pulled me into about magazines, but one shining example is when Chaz wrote that piece about Mick Fanning calling him a Jew in Stab Magazine, they, uh, Rip Curl, pulled a quarter of a million dollars or threatened to pull a quarter of a million dollars worth of advertising from Stab Magazine annual advertising budget. And Derek Riley, who was co-owner of Stab at the time, said, take your money and walk. This happened. Stab or Chaz reported the truth of what happened. We are not going to redact that. And Rip Curl pulled their money and other advertisers pulled their money too. And Stab continued to flourish despite those advertising dollars. And Zach Weisberg from the exactly. Inertia spun out and created the inertia because of that as well. He left Surfer Magazine, as you know, because right. you worked with him, you were mentoring him at the time. And yeah. then he left to start the inertia because of that exact incident. So right. not, not only did has that happened, 
tremendous growth and expansion in the industry has happened because of it. Well, I'm glad we've clarified that I'm right and you're wrong. This is check helpful. your facts, Mr. Bass. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm not, I agree with everything you just said there. What are you talking about? I'm just telling right. you that over overall, generally speaking, enthusiast-based magazines are not going to shoot themselves in the revenue foot by saying stuff that maybe should be said somewhere. It's just not the vehicle to do it. Maybe let's we do need the Sterling Spencers or the Derek Riley stab example to be the one that perhaps sheds light on a situation that needs light shed on it. It's simply never going to happen from the standard surf magazine vehicle because it's bad business. It's no business now. Wow. There's no I such guarantee thing. I you that on surfermagazine.com, they're probably doing their best to keep the ad revenue model alive and well. <laughs> Good for them. Uh, what? Let's wow. move on. Is that let's, your segue? Jeez. Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're pissed on huh? your No, you're not at all. Pissed. I'm just kidding. Nobody cares. I got. Um, room. I've got various things related to surf contests, uh, but what do you got? Well, I've got great news. See how I bring good stuff. I'm bringing good news. I'm not bringing like negative satire. Good I news. Can't, can't wait for your positivity. Okay, good. Yeah. Indonesia announced they're going to uh, into third their third phase, and they're accepting foreign tourists starting September 11th. So if you've been chomping at the bit to go surf in Indonesia, beginning September 11th, they're opening up. There's a few protocols you're going to have to go through. You're going to have to provide you know some 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 testing proof that you're negative on the COVID, but um, Opening up Indonesia to traveling surfers September 11th. That is great news. I'm bringing glad tidings. Are they opening to everybody from around the world? They can't be opening to Americans. It says here, each tourist needs to obtain a negative swab test to enter Indonesia. You can get one of these from many of your medical clinics within your country. This test is valid for 14 days. The only place you can fly into is Bali. Bali is going to be the central location for international travelers. Once you enter Bali, you need to obtain another rapid test to travel domestically within Indonesia. And that rapid test can be obtained in the airport and the test results will be emailed to you within 30 minutes. Hmm. It doesn't say anything about not allowing Americans, but you're right. It wouldn't surprise me if, uh, you know, America's not on their list of, allowed countries seeing as how we've done such a great job of corralling this pandemic relative to all the other countries in the world. So I have two thoughts. Um, yes. The first is their economy is heavily dependent upon tourism. So I'm wondering if they're expediting this to help their economy recover. And then secondly, do you trust Bali to be on the leading edge of <laughs> this kind of scientific experiment? <laughs> the, the gnarly part is from Bali you have to fly to Padang <laughs> and spend a night in a motel where you can get on a boat to get out there but uh, yeah you know what I trust Bali why not I'm wrong. you do Dude, I'm masking I'm gonna have a face mask hand mask I'm going in with like a full Breaking Bad suit I'm gonna wear the Breaking Bad suit until the boat pulls up in Padang 
I'm going to jump on the boat in Padang. In the harbor, I'm going to take off the friggin' Breaking Bad toxic suit and revel in my glory of a surf trip in Indonesia. Dude, you are going to be the most vulnerable population by virtue of the fact that you haven't exposed yourself to one microbe of any germ period you're going to come out of your you have no idea out of your hazmat suit and the very first germ that's in the ocean that normally wouldn't even affect you is going to give you like pink eye or something i've been working on the hill in my backyard with two guatemalan friends for three weeks and believe me they're not they're not like super up on their covid protection are you hazmat suit with them no are you kidding hablas so I don't understand your, um, your policies. Me either. I don't either. Okay. I have no, okay. they're, constantly, they're, constantly, they're constantly changing. I'm floating with the wind. I'm floating with the breeze, man. If I knew what my policy were, were I'd, I'd print them and sell them. I'd publish them, man. I have no idea what my policies are. Well, because when I'm you and I- I'm a mess, dude. I'm a mess. I'm telling when, you I'm a mess. When you and I recorded at Shaq, and you were wearing a mask, I was like, in my head, I was like, there's phases of whatever we're going through right now. And so the first phase was like full lockdown, only go to the grocery store, whatever. And then it's like, I start seeing my family a little bit here and there. And so by the time you and I are recording, I'm like, I guess this is like the third kind of grouping of people in my life that I'm going to have some subtle exposure to in route to kind of a broader exposure right and but you were wearing a mask and you're like no we're not supposed to have any exposure and i'm like oh shoot maybe i'm not the third grouping for scott or maybe we define it differently but if you're in your back working with the guatemalan dudes with no protective covering at all then i feel like they're closer to you and in your inner sanctum than i am Why after seven years <laughs> i go with god <laughs> right. no i wear i'm wearing a mask on the hill but are you really not. Yeah. You're working in the heat all day with a mask. Yeah. I Brutal. Am. Yeah. And I got to pull it down and be like, Seguro, you know, I got it. Because <laughs> talking in, you have to talk, shout yeah. at them. <laughs> talking in Spanglish without a mask is hard enough, but with a mask on talking in Spanglish is super hard. Yeah. By I the way, have you ever had this thing where like when you go to like France or you go to like Portugal or you go to Japan, a great example, and they're speaking to you in a foreign language and you're like, oh, my foreign language language part of my brain needs to turn on and I just start speaking in Spanish to people that are Japanese. Do you ever do this? I totally do. I do it. Uh, I don't know if the words ever get out of my mouth, but I definitely, that's what my default is, is to go to Spanish for sure. Yeah. Just immediately. You're just like, you know, gracias. They're like, what? <laughs> I always appreciate too when um, people, when somebody is speaking to a person in the person's second language, they'll just up the volume, you know? Oh, yeah. Like oh, I've, yeah. I've worked in oh. restaurants through high school and college, and it's like the owner of the restaurant who speaks English would go talk to a Hispanic employee and start shouting at them. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> they're not deaf. That's me. They that just me. don't understand <laughs> English so well, you know? Right. Uh, all uh, right. In regard to surf contests, hey, we had no surf contests for six months, and all of a sudden, We've got a plethora coming at us this week. Um, there's Rumble at the Ranch, which is um, the, the WSL has introduced this new format. It's really just in lieu of everything else, uh, in lieu of not having anything else to do. 
they basically have surfers who are in California currently, so they don't have to travel. They're inviting them up to Surf Ranch. They're going to have eight teams, two surfers on each teams, uh, each team, male and female surfer on each team. They're going to get four waves, one right and one left each. And the top right and left between the two surfers will be scored. And at the end of the day, there will be a winning team. Um, what are your thoughts about this, Scott? Don't care. Have no, no desire whatsoever to watch anything at the ranch. That, that it, what's the word I'm looking for? Regardless? That involves, hmm. that involves competition. Um, I'd rather just watch free surfing there and watch, I'd rather watch like, you know, wing net with some chick on his shoulders trying to get in the tube together on a longboard or whatever. Like, I, I mean, dude, I've got major league baseball. I've got NBA. I've got the hockey. I've got playoff hockey. There's professional golf. There's four different sports I'd rather watch than a competition at the surf ranch. Now I love the WSL and I love surfing competition but not at the surf ranch. It's boring. It just doesn't excite me. There's no way you can spin it unless it involves like, I don't know, like midgets or small people or something. Or I don't know. I don't know with flames or something. Or dwarf tossing in the tube. I don't know. Spice it up for me. You know, <laughs> this officially just became our most alienating podcast episode ever. I'm trying to be woke. I'm trying to be PC. I don't know what the right term is. If I, if somebody would, what's the right term for a small person? See, I don't think the, the problem was you choosing the wrong term. I think it was objectifying that group of people by throwing them in the air. That was the problem there. I'm just trying to spice up the competition. It can be a heavy person. It's just easier with a lighter person. That's all I'm saying. Uh, crystal clear. Um, <laughs> you don't so, want any part of me right now. You're like, I want to make sure the listeners know that I am not a privy. I'm not a part of. I, just go ahead and you know, sep, you know, separate yourself from me. Um, so you're saying exactly what we've been saying ever since we saw the Future Classic where they did a specialty event there prior to um, them ever running a CT event there, we identified it immediately. I mean, it was clear as day to anybody who's ever watched any competitive surfing was this is way too monotonous for it to be interesting and there's no way to manufacture a drama. And in the best case scenario, you have two surfers vying it out for a fraction of a score, but the canvas never changes. So, the dramatics are actually completely dissolved and it's now become this gymnastic display of who can do just a fraction of a something different than the other. And it's just not interesting at all. So the fact that the By w way, gymnastics with a, with a midget and, and like fire would be pretty cool too. Now that would add some drama that would See? be adding back. That would be adding back all of the things that we missed that you just get naturally in the ocean. But <laughs> the WSL double, doubled down on it by including this venue on the CT, which is an abomination, and then doubled down again by doing it two and three years in a row, scheduling it two and three year, years in a row, even though they haven't executed yet. Um, 
I think that they're doing this strictly because they have no other options at this point. So I almost don't even blame them. Yeah. It's kind of like, well, I guess you could do nothing yeah. or something, well, but they're not going to get any views. Yeah. Whatever their projections are for viewership is going to be dismal. Secondly, I don't even know if I'm going to watch the highlights. Like this is at the point where I don't care about Surf Ranch, even watching it in free surfs anymore. If a clip pops up in my feed, I'm not going to sit 45 seconds watching it. I know exactly what the what wave's going to do. What if the clip do. popped up in your feed and it was oh, here we go. wing nut with like small people and they were juggling fire trying to get tubed? You would click on that, right? I would absolutely watch it, but it is nowhere the same as surfing, quote surfing. That is now a novelty, you right. know, exhibition. Um, one note came in from a listener. Look, I, yeah. And this is actually, I hadn't even thought of this before, but I'd be curious to hear if you agree. He says, we've talked about how boring the yeah. wave is to watch. Um, but quote, the wave just isn't for vertical surfing. The, the guys struggling on pointy thrusters to keep up their speed of the wave because there's no energy sucking off the bottom. In my opinion, the most beautiful examples of surfing on that thing have been by folks drawing progressive horizontal lines on boards that generate their own speed. The clips I'm thinking about were CJ Nelson and Pat Towersy, but there have been a lot of other examples of longboarders and riders of alternative craft putting on some fun clips out there. Maybe if the pool is, uh, maybe the pool is the most uh, practical place for competition, uh, Actually, I don't understand what that sentence means, but he said we can get our pal Devin Howard on the event and maybe um, consider style and board choice paramount over acrobatics, end quote. This is from Michael in New York. Would you more likely watch something like that? Uh, I mean, maybe. I, I, initially, I'm like, okay, maybe. Uh, you know, I'm not excited by that, but... Yeah. but he does bring up some good points, which you brought up in the past too, which everyone knows, is that we do have a palette here. We, we've got a, we know what we're getting. It's, you know, we're, we're painting with oils, you know, like we get it, right? So knowing that we have this sort of objective palette that, we're, that everyone knows what it is, you could, I mean, it's a great opportunity to go, okay, we're gonna throw a fish, a longboard, a glider, and a kneeboard into, the bubble and we're going to spin the wheel and you're going to pull it out. And Kelly Slater, you get to ride the glider, the 11 foot skip fry glider. You get to ride that. And Stephanie Gilmore, you get to ride the Alaya and Jordy Smith, you get the Al Merrick Trifan. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, somehow or another, you could create some sort of competition around because we do have the same canvas. Palette. Yeah. The canvas. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. That If it was just an exhibition of that, I'd more likely watch it for sure. Seeing Kelly try to figure out an Elia and a glider out there would be interesting. Yeah. And I'm a fan, as are you, of the WSL. I'm a fan of pro surfing. I'm, I'm just, and I'm a fan of the surf ranch. I love the surf ranch. I, I go up there, I'm involved with some, you know, I, I'm a fan. It's just, I'm not going to watch pro surfing there because I got a lot more stuff to watch. Like, you know what you need to watch? Jim Gaffigan, the pale tourist season one, episode one, where he goes to Canada. 
that's what you need to watch. Where where can I find it? Amazon Prime. The Pale Tourist. Jim Gaffigan, Canada. That's hilarious. Season that's a hilarious one, episode title. one. Yeah, it's well, he's pretty funny. I'm a big fan of his. Is it a Doesn't travel show words? or a sitcom? Do you know who Jim Gaffigan is? Yeah, comedian. It's a stand-up, okay. stand-up show. Okay. Um, by the way, a listener sent me the forecast, a screenshot of the forecast for the Olympics on the week that they were supposed to run um, in Japan at Shitashita Beach. And by the looks of things, they absolutely dodged a bullet. The forecast was completely flat. It was lake-like. So that would have been a nightmare. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, in a weird way, Fernando's probably going, hmm, maybe this was all meant to be. And maybe I should see the writing on the wall and consider, do we have an option? Do we have a contingency here? Is there an American wave machines perhaps that's being built in Japan that we can use if, if in fact it goes flat? But anyway, well, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I mean, it was unsurfable. They would not have been able to run competition. Right. So. It's like it has been here for three and a half weeks. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the other surf contest related topic is Stab Magazine's Surf 100 which airs in two days from now, August 6th, Pacific Standard Time, 7 p.m. Are you familiar with this? I am. I, I looked at it. I looked at the format. Um, I got the email. I actually had it in my notes for last week's show. but They changed um, the date. So it was supposed to air last week, and I, apparently they had some technical difficulties. So it got postponed until this week. But the basics are they've filmed a one hour or I'm sorry, a 100 minute session with Chloe Andino, Griffin Colapinto and Ian Crane surfing lowers in the midst of a crowd and um, just vying for waves like you would in a free surf session. It's basically a 100 minute free surf session, fully filmed and documented and commentated by Salema Masakela, Taylor Knox and Dane Reynolds and then they're going to display, uh, make it all available pay-per-view, $10 to pay in advance, 15 bucks if you pay the day of. And you as a viewer can watch it in real time, 100 minutes, and score each individual wave. In addition to the actual um, judging panel that they have, they'll tabulate all the scores and a winner will be selected. I guess a right and a left, two waves from each surfer will be um attributed or contributed to their 20 point potential total score line. So it's cool in that it's interactive. Look, we as viewers get to score and have some sort of a say and influence in this, but what are your thoughts? Are you going to pay for it? Are you going to watch no. it? Do you care? I don't know. No, I here my initial thought was, I don't, the, here's my, what I would like to see. If you're going to go to a surf spot, let the guys, like the unsung hero local guys be involved in this. But when they said lowers and they're like, let's bring Dane down and let's bring, and it's like, you know what I'd like to see? And this is kind of wacky, but I'd like to see um, like Joe Cremo in it or, um, or um, Cordell, you know, like, or, you know, and I'm sure there's some other locals at lowers that I, cause I haven't surfed there in 20 years, but there's other guys that are unsung hero guys that have been surfing there they're probably like dawn patrol guys that are on it every morning or you know just you know what i mean like i'd like to see some of those guys thrown into the mix 
you like, would not pay cold? ten. You would not pay ten not bucks pay to watch any of, any of those guys surf, and they did that. I, I mean, I feel I'm like Ian. I feel like Ian Crane is your their answer to Ian, what you Ian just Crane. said. I'll do Ian Crane, but how about like the Joe Cremos, like the guys that are just like, like kind of on the fringe, you know, a couple of fringe guys. I'm just saying, throw in some fringe guys. Do we really need? We can watch Chloe and all these other guys on the WSL. Like, let's throw in some local guys. So Red hot local guys and a couple of B player local guys. I don't know. I think Maybe they, I'm wrong. Just a thought. No, you're right. And they did exactly what you're asking by giving Ian Crane. It's the local shredder who surfs it on every swell versus the locals who turned A-list pro. Fighting it out in the crowds and in a free – it's basically is that a free how it was explained? Maybe I'm, it It's is. not how it's it was explained, right but that's left. what it is. They get a right and a left. And then they put the right and the left on. Like they surf for, I think, two hours or an hour, and their filmer gets the best right and the best left. And then they put it up, and, it's, and then you vote on the right and the left. They're all out there for 100 minutes together with the film crew on the beach. They're all vying for waves with the crowd. So it's a real-time free surf is what it is. Yeah, but the voting comes down. I thought the voting was they take a right and a left from the 100 minutes, the best right and the best left, and they put that, and that's what we vote on. It's just like a regular surf contest where every wave gets scored, but in the end, your best two scores go towards your, your 20 point potential total. Oh. Oh, but, well. but the best two are a right and a left, like your best right and your best left go towards oh, your 20 point total. So it's an interesting oh, concept. I appreciate them doing it. Um, I'm not paying the 10 bucks for it. And I have a feeling even the highlight reel that we watch won't be as good as whatever Instagram clip came out of lowers this week from any of those guys. So exactly. I think you nailed it. Exactly. All right. Well, what do you got in terms of Duke kook must see moments, any of that stuff? Well, a couple of things. First of all, let me say that the California gold surf auction closes this Saturday at 5 PM Pacific standard time, roughly 10 AM Sunday, August 9th, if you're in Australia, but here Pacific Standard Time, Saturday, August 8th, 5 p.m., California Gold Surf Auction closes, and we've got crazy bid going on on 60 lots, historical, culturally significant surfboards and ephemera, and you're going to want to get involved in that, and I know that um, our friend Dave Proden from the WSL is involved in the bidding. No way. A lot of other people are. So there's going to be an exciting time here. Saturday night, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Log on and watch it all go down. Be, become a part of it. Register, bid, win. It'll be fun. Can you say what board Dave's bidding on? No, I'd rather not say for Dave's sake. I don't want to. Can I guess? We need to have some in- integrity here. Can I guess? Auction integrity. Yeah, go ahead. Guess. Is it uh, Tom Curran? Am I supposed to reply to your guess? Okay. I, because I would that guess- would be a tell. I would guess. Yeah, I was just hoping you would get baited into it. Um, I would guess it's Tom Kern's board, and my second guess would be, if not Tom's, something from Channel Islands for sure. But all right, we'll see. Anyway, California Gold Surf Auction closes this Saturday, 5 p.m. August 8th. Get involved. Um, I do have a great messy moment, and I bet it's. I'm gonna. A lot of times, you and I line up here. It's the same for sure. It's the same. Okay. I'm, my must-see moment is Mason Ho's video tribute to his uncle Derek, which I 
just watched about 20 minutes before coming on the air here with you. And it was awesome in a bunch of different ways. It was heartfelt. It tugged at my, um, you know, my, my sympathies for the Ho family. Um, it really brought out the best in Derek Ho. It was fun. It was sweet. It, was, it had Mason Ho's kind of fingerprints dripping all over it. It was high, high action, and uh, I just thought it was really powerful. Probably the best thing I've ever seen on Derek Ho in 40 years. It was just awesome, and I, I hope everyone watches it. And yeah, it is mine as well, and I agree with everything that you said. Furthermore, so much of the footage that we've seen of Derek Ho um, was just kind of recycled footage from his heyday over and over again, which is great, and it's iconic and all that sort of stuff. This was all footage from the past five years. So the past five years that Mason Ho has been doing his blog with Rord and Pringle uh, behind the camera and doing the editing, he's been, you know, occasionally filming with Derek. So they went through that five-year archive and put together, I think it's about a 16-minute uh, tribute video, which is not only surfing, but it's a lot of B-roll stuff. So you get a real feel for Derek and his personality and not just his surfing, which he was still surfing at the highest level. Um, up until his untimely death three weeks ago. So we will definitely By put the that way, up the on song, spitpodcast.com. The song is is incredible. I think it's one song all the way through. And I don't know who it is. It might be Edgar Winter or Johnny Winter. Or it's like um or it's like Dwayne Al Dwayne Allman and Eric Clapton some like outtake from some Ayla sessions or something, but it's just this incredible rock and roll song that goes for 13 minutes. It's a pretty cool jam. I'm trying to look it up right now. They don't have um, the credit, the music credit in the notes on YouTube, but yeah, they use a lot of times, they um, they use a lot of Jimi Hendrix and they will it, take it had these. A Hendrix, it had a Hendrix vibe to it for sure. It yeah. could have been Hendrix. And they will use like, um, bootleg tapes or outlet you know out outtakes uh live versions yeah. of stuff lots of times that just kind of meander and they're like jam jam band kind of sessions but yeah we'll post that and then um my duke this could also be a must-see moment but i'm gonna just call it my duke idolo ferrera he's been posting a bunch of free surf clips both on instagram and on youtube Dude, the recent clip, I think it just came out yesterday, of him surfing at his local break is beyond comprehension. Like, it is beyond <laughs> comprehension. It is so gnarly. I can't even put it into words. Just the amount of whip and torque that he gets out of his turns that you think they're just like throwaway turns and he lands, but he lands in a bottom turn and he goes straight into another one. They're just so, so gnarly. His level of surfing is insane. Yeah, I I saw this, and I think Stab or Beach Grid or somebody basically said, "Idolo, what Idolo is doing isn't even we can't even relate to it. Like it's not we're not even sure it's surfing. Like more of it is up here. It's all it's he's closer to gymnastics than he is to surfing. It's pretty mind blowing what he's doing. But it's radical. By it's way, not. Like, it's not um, all above the no, lip. All connected. It's, it's all, all connected. connected. It's, it's all, all power based. It's amazing. Yeah, it's all really. Yeah, it's it's not like he's doing some crazy thing and that's all he's doing. He's he's putting together through fluidity. It's just it's mind blowing what he's doing. 
it's incomprehensible and there's no fault in it. So it's, I mean, the guy's, yeah, not yet. The guy's a Duke. Um, my kook is yeah. Southern California Edison for dumping tens of thousands of gallons of radiated water into the Pacific, just a mile off the beach at San Onofre. Um, they're required to give 48 hours notice before such dumps. So on July 22nd, they informed uh, the public that they'd be releasing 21,168 gallons of water contaminated with radioactive waste and other toxic chemicals into the Pacific. Then again, five days ago, they announced that they'd be dumping another 18,900 gallons of water. They claim, uh, or I mean, I guess the science bears out that the dilution rate is such that it creates zero threat. These are legal levels of radiated water that they're dumping. They have nowhere else to dump it, obviously. But I would uh, suggest that everybody exercise extreme caution. This is, I am not a scientist. I am no doctor. I would just say this is the kind of stuff that comes out 20 years later that um, everybody who lived near Chernobyl has cancer. And not even Chernobyl. I mean, Chernobyl was a disaster. But people who live under you know, power lines or whatever end up with some weird ailment later in life that is way too late. So this, we have a bunch of information here. I would say exercise extreme caution. What are your thoughts? I, I like, I would agree with you. I would suggest uh, exercising extreme. I like that. I had a list. I feel like I need to apologize to, to Sterling Spencer, to dwarfs, <laughs> to midgets, to Brazilians. I feel like there needs to be, a, at the end of every show, there needs to be a moment where I just kind of just blanket apology. Um, I'm naive. I'm ignorant. I'll try to figure it out. I'm still, I'm a work in progress. I think that's what people enjoy about you is your candor. Um, by the way, a listener messaged me on Instagram about the San Onofre thing. And he said, cause there's signs on the beach warning, um, not preventing people from going in the ocean, but just warning them about the dumps. And he said those signs about San Onofre dumping radioactivity water into the Pacific are way too late. The plant has been dumping at, quote, legal levels since day one. I worked as an operator at the plant while it was operating and did the draining of that water regularly. It's way below the, quote, legal level and barely, if at all, contaminated. While any radioactive exposure should be avoided, most people get most more exposure from dental x-rays than a, uh, working a day at the power plant. That's not to say that nuclear power is a good thing. It's horrible just because of the spent fuel. It's going to be thousands of years before any of the fuel from any nuclear facility would have decayed to be safe levels. And the US government, who is fully responsible for the spent fuel, has literally nowhere to put it. And that's why it's stuck on the beach at San Onofre, end quote. So that's a pretty scary prognosis or just uh, assessment of the situation, but it is what it is. And it's what we do to power our well, homes and cities. What's trippy about it is that it's so political. So there, there was this place, I think it's in New Mexico, where they were supposed to put it. It's a depository. It's a mountain that they bought that they're supposed to put the stuff on a railroad 
on a train, ship it from San Onofre to this place, and store it there. And it's just gonna, it's gonna be the shithole inside of a mountain that's nuclear. It's got nuclear spent fuel. But the politics of it are such that nobody wants that train going through their neighborhoods, through their state, through their region, through their county. And so you've got a million different politicians going, oh, I can't have this, I can't have this. Even to the point that where it's supposed to go, and I think it's in New Mexico or wherever it is, the people there are like, no more, we don't want it anymore. Oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Right. And the politicians, the senators are involved in that region are like, hey, what's going on? So everyone's pointing fingers at everyone else. And on top of all of that, if you were to really try to get into the solution, you're looking at probably a 75-year process, which means there's no politician that has maybe six or eight years, maybe 10 years, let's say 20 years in office. There's no upside to trying to solve that problem if you're a politician besides just helping humanity. So no politician is going to touch it. It's just, it's just, it's like the ugly nuclear scar on the side of your neck. That's just never going away. No one wants to look at it. Yeah. Well, that's, I, I'm sad. I mean, it's, we need, we basically need renewable, sustainable energy sources and to get away from this sort of a thing, because you're absolutely right. Um, We've all benefited from it, you know, but it's high time that we kind of, start steering away from this sort of a thing it's crazy i mean i would suggest like windmill farms except the noise from that causes cancer the noise does yeah didn't you hear no that's what our president said uh, hey <laughs> he could be right about all of this stuff maybe antifa is uh, training 75 year olds to fall down on command and crack their head open you never know these tweets could all be correct. Dude, I've, not, I've been anti-fascist since the day I was born. My grandfather fought against Hitler. Anyway, um, we better hey, shut up now well, before we piss off some people. Well, we should. I don't know um, if we haven't offended our sponsors. Uh, we should let people know. I don't know that everybody knows this, but Need Essentials. We always talk about wetsuits and outerwear for the mountain. They also have accessories like fins, surf fins leashes fins kind of everything but the fins are what i want to clue people into because um fins surfboard fins are expensive neat essentials maintains the same business practice that they do by cutting out the middleman cutting out the branding cutting out the hang tags all the accoutrement that adds expense to your products so you can get uh keel fins twin fins thrusters eight inch traditional kind of upright single fin. They've got a raked single fin, uh, various sizes, and it's all way cheaper than you would normally buy your surf fins for. So Need Essentials, again, the brand name, it says all you need. Need and Essentials, surf fins, wetsuits, leashes, all of it, neatessentials.com. And they've been sponsoring us, supporting us for years now. So go check them out. They they should have shampoo. You could get some because you definitely need the essential a uh, little. <laughs> so turns out you don't need that. That is a non-essential and I haven't used it for five years. And anybody who's watching the YouTube version of our video can't argue with what's happening here. Oh God, you win. Right? 
voluminous, hat back lush. Oh, Lordy. Okay, well, that's it, I guess, right? Until next time, I feel like this show is going to, we're going to get a lot of spit coming back at us, particularly me. Scott, in this modern yeah. era, that is all you want. Engagement oh, is key. Yeah. Engagement is all that matters. You want clicks? You want Instagram followers? Uh, no, I just want to have a good conversation. I, you know. Okay, look. Until next time. Adios and aloha. <laughs>